Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the past the circus would come to some major cities. One of the major attractions was the so-called Lion's Acts. A trainer would enter a huge cage and with the crack of a whip get the lions to do certain tricks. It was always a tricky business because the animals were wild. And every once in a while you would hear about a trainer being mauled during these performances. People were reminded that you can take the lion out of Africa, but you can't take Africa out of the lion. Why do I bring up this matter? I bring this up because this morning we will address our sinful condition. Sin is difficult to remove from our activities. Just when we think we have it licked, we find it's still there. And yes, like the lion, it can do its damage, although it's more spiritual than physical. Perhaps you've wondered about that. You know yourselves to be Christians. No one can tell you that you're not. Yet sometimes you may ask yourselves whether you are. You've fallen back into that particular sin that haunts you. One person's sin is different than the sin of the other. All of you have experienced those moments where you've questioned your sincerity as a Christian. Sin rears its ugly head and you fall. Perhaps it's the sin of alcoholism, taking of drugs, or you're having difficulty handling your sexuality. You keep looking at porn after you said to yourself, I have to stop. And perhaps you've given into those sexual yearnings that keep coming up in your mind. Perhaps it's not in that direction. Maybe you have trouble controlling your anger. Or you're jealous of others. Perhaps you've just stolen something from your parents, your friends, or someone else. Of course, all of these things are wrong. They're sinful. But there is more to sin than a wrong here and a wrong there. Sin is always in our lives, brothers and sisters. This is what the Apostle Paul teaches us this morning using himself as the example. Yes, you've heard... It often, the words of our text, I'm sure you've even heard me on the occasion when I'm here to preach. Those familiar words that Paul speaks of in our text about not doing what he wants to do, but just the other way around. And so what is Paul really saying to us 
concerning sin. How do we understand Paul's message so that we are helped in our struggle against sin? Those are the questions we want to look at as this morning I proclaim God's word with our text. Romans 7, 14 to 25, under the following theme and heads. The Christian man in his struggle against sin. One, though we are saved. Secondly, we still struggle against sin. First of all then, though we are saved. People have often questioned how Paul could write the words of chapter 7 after what he wrote in chapter 6. Chapter 6 might well be summarized as saying, to be alive in Christ is to be dead to sin. As Christians, we are to see ourselves as dead to sin. But now in chapter 7, Paul says, I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. There appears to be a conflict. Perhaps if the chapters had been reversed, you could make an argument for saying that once Paul lived the wrong way, now he lives the right way. Of course, you can't just change scripture, can you? You can't make it according, form it according to your understanding or liking. And so we're stuck with the question, of how Paul can first say to be alive in Christ is to be dead to sin, and then secondly, I can will to do what is right, but I cannot do it. Some have said, and I say this, brothers and sisters, because these things are are at work. Some have said, to understand how Paul can say it in this order, You have to understand that in Romans 7, Paul is referring back to his life before Christ. And the the people who say that, verse 14 then becomes the key, where Paul says, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Some, or many, especially in our North American setting, use this chapter to underline the notion that before Paul became a spiritual Christian, he had a time where he was a carnal Christian. A carnal Christian? A living by the appetites of the flesh Christian. For many years, there has been the idea in evangelical circles of a world which consists, consists of unsaved people, spiritual Christians, and carnal Christians. The unsaved see themselves as first and foremost, and Christ outside the circle of their life. The carnal Christian invites Jesus into the circle, but keeps on looking at himself as first and foremost. The spiritual Christian puts Christ first and foremost, and sees himself at the feet of Christ. And so they say, Paul once saw himself as a carnal Christian. Verse 22 shows how it once was. 
For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. The point made then is that Paul now, now, sees himself as a spiritual Christian, sees himself as removed from this chapter 7. Congregation, many spiritualists have used this chapter to call people to a deeper life in Christ. Get out of chapter 7, they say. Get out of the life of the carnal Christian and live with the truth of chapter 6 and go on from there to chapter 8 to the life in the Spirit. Is that what our text teaches us this morning, congregation? Is it teaching us about things which we attribute to the lives of unbelievers and so-called carnal Christians? Are we to see that sin in us as indication that we are not yet spiritual Christians? Well, I don't want to leave you with a bunch of questions, brothers and sisters. We'll get right to the point. In chapter 7, Paul is not describing the past, but he's describing the present. Paul is saying that though he is a servant of the Lord, an apostle no less, that at this very time, he is still struggling with sin. The same as you and I are. Look carefully at Romans 7, congregation. Follow the sequence. In verse 6, he says, We've been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. We serve in the new way of the Spirit, he says. That's Paul's present condition. Hold on to that thought. Now look at verse 14. Paul says, but I am unspiritual. Paul's not referring then to a previous time when he says this. He's speaking of the present, in the present tense. I am unspiritual. So Paul is saying, I am in the new way. And yet at the same time, he's saying, I am unspiritual. He's not speaking about a time of unbelief or a time of carnal Christianity, if there is such a creature. Paul is speaking here about his life in Christ. Life in which he is determined to show his thankfulness by living in obedience to the law of God again. Paul says in verse 22, In my inner being, I delight in God's law. And he adds to that by saying in verse 25, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law. In other words, I want to do what is right. Paul distanced himself from those living in sin by saying in Romans 8 verse 7, The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature 
cannot please God. So I repeat, Paul's mind is not hostile to God any longer. Paul delights in the law of God in his inmost being. So we come to our second point. We still struggle against sin. Brothers and sisters, and of them boys and girls, Romans 7 describes the very human side of one's life in Christ. It's a matter of perspective. Romans 6 is about the Christian's life in Christ. Romans 8 goes on to speak about the divine perspective on life. The spiritual element of life. But brothers and sisters, understand this. The divine perspective is not outside of what Paul says about the human perspective, the human reality as we see it with chapter 7. Chapter 7 is about Christian living, the reality of everyday life. Paul loved the law of God, but he found himself having to keep it in the human flesh. This meant that he was unable to fulfill that law the way the heart desired. The spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak. Paul says in verse 15, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Congregation, we may desire every good thing. Indeed, we must strive for it. But show me someone who says that he has left behind what Paul speaks of in chapter 7 about continuing sin and who says he's gone on to having his mind totally set on what the Spirit desires and I will show you someone who is insensitive to the ongoing effect of sin in the life of the flesh. If one truly and honestly measures oneself against God's standard of what is righteous and holy, then that person must realize, no matter how holy he lives, that he has come far short of what God has required of him. If you think you are perfect, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, Then you enter the camp of the Pharisees who imagined they were able to move out of the condition described in chapter 7. Or call those who think that way spiritualists, if you like. But don't call it reformed. Romans 7 congregation is the sad lament of the spiritual Christian No, it's not about Paul at an all-time low in his spiritual life. Romans 7 sees Paul at the height of spiritual maturity, yet unable to live up to the holy standard of God's law. 
What Paul is saying to us this morning is that no matter how far you may approach perfection, and he hopes that you're busy trying, you will run into sin with every positive forward thrust. So we can read those verses again from verse 14. We've done it twice now. We won't do it again. It speaks about the law as spiritual. For he says, I don't understand what I'm doing. Because I'm unspiritual. And yet he sees that what he wants... And yet he sees something else at at work which he doesn't want. He wants us to see those contrasts, brothers and sisters. The law is spiritual, but we are unspiritual, sold as slaves to sin. The law is not the evil thing which needs to be overcome in our lives. Some people speak in that way. The law is dead. They say, I am alive in Christ. Justification by faith apart from works of the law does not imply the law is evil. The law is spiritual. It comes from the Spirit of God. It reflects God's will and holiness. What can possibly be wrong with it? This is the standard by which all things must be judged. There is a barrier that prevents Every believer from always obeying God's law. And that barrier is namely our carnal or fleshly, unspiritual nature. However, listen carefully. Paul says, I am of flesh, carnal, unspiritual. He does not say that he is in the flesh. Paul speaks of human frailty which remains with us long after salvation has been established. Paul says, but I remain human. That's the problem of my life. I know that nothing good dwells in me of myself. I am flesh. I serve the law because of my heart, but in my flesh there is a desire to be human. To serve that flesh, to serve sin. And so does Paul here contradict himself with what he said in chapter 6, verse 14, where he says, For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. No, Paul is only saying that his flesh keeps pulling him back into committing the very sins he hates. Why am I telling you these negative things this morning, you may ask? Well, that's what we want to listen to briefly now. We've been building up to say something with all of this. It's not as some Christian suggests that you may escape what Paul says in chapter 7. I remember a good Pentecostal friend of mine once said, You know what? I no longer sin." Christ is now alive in me. I can never sin again. I do believe he 
He believed that in all sincerity. But was he realistic? No, he looked at it, as we said earlier, the way these many evangelicals look at it, that it's something to escape as not to have its effect in you any longer. That's how he was speaking. That's how he thought. That's how he was taught. Was he realistic? Paul, for one, says no. Such a person is not realistic. If we carry Paul's language through to the point of saying that we are no longer capable of sinning, then we carry the message of Christian living too far. We may say that in Christ our sins are all taken away, nailed to the cross. We may say in faith that Christ has covered all our sins in the presence of God so that he no longer sees them. The work of Christ is perfect in the removal of our sins, congregation. But our flesh, yes, our Christian, saved from condemnation flesh, is still subject to sin's deceit and still attracted by many of its alluring features. We are no longer related to our former father, the devil. We no longer love the world or the passions of our flesh. Yet our flesh is still attracted to sin. However, understand it right. We are not to be happy with this condition. We are not to shrug and say, what will be, will be, because of this condition. Let us therefore say with Paul, for in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin, at work within my members. Here is our dilemma, congregation. We say that God's law is good. We desire to obey it, yet we cannot rid ourselves of sin. We are bound to our human frailty. Sin no longer reigns in us, chapter 6, but it does survive in us, chapter 7. Then we should not become despondent should not become sad beyond help. Paul says in Galatians 5 verse 16, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. The Holy Spirit gives us victory in this inner struggle, congregation, through struggle and frustration. We will, by the grace of God, persevere. Don't give yourself over to saying we are incapable of doing anything right. On the contrary, Paul is saying the desire to obey is greater than one's ability to obey. This is the way of spiritual growth in Christ. It is an encouraging thing that God has done in leaving us in this veil, the shadow of death. He has not yet made us perfect. He puts us through a struggle in everyday life. He does that so that we may learn to live fully out of His grace. 
God's intention is that we should always see the image of a holy God. We should see Him through Jesus Christ as our source of eternal life. We have to do that daily. We have to daily be committed to God. Not just weekly and Sunday. And for the rest, don't ask what we do in the week. Then it is our hatred for sin. And as that hatred increases, and our capacity for victory over sin is enlarged, our frustration with the remnants of sin in the flesh will also intensify. The more we defeat sin in our lives, the more aware of its presence we become. And that's an effective thing, congregation. But then the question remains, are you prepared to struggle? No, do not say we are all to be exactly the same in this, equally mature. Some are strong, some are weak. But the question is, are we all fighting the same struggle? Are you inclined towards righteousness and as such frustrated by the pull of our sinful flesh against it? That's where we have to be. And when we are there, then let your cry in life be, What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? But are you there? Then you will be ready to say each day to this wretched business, Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, I have victory given to me. It is Christ who is my victory. I cannot live on my own. I cannot conquer death. Still I sin. But I know the one who has redeemed me. I know the one who has taken my sin away. And I look each day to him as my salvation. To him be the glory. Glory be to God the Father. I can go forward. I will serve the law of God with my mind. Even though with my flesh I will continue to show evidence of the law of sin. But... We will be more than conquerors over this congregation because of Christ. Look to him, your Savior, as the answer. Yes, also the answer to those daily sins. Look to him in faith, grow and increase in the knowledge of him. Know that your salvation is sure in him. Go forward. Fight the fight of faith with his help. We will win. Amen.